So I read the readings this week, and I thought, well, I need to preach on the reading from Exodus and the reading from Matthew. Exodus is one of the murmuring texts, and you know how I feel about the murmuring texts. I love them. The people of Israel are in the wilderness, and they're murmuring. And then we have some other complaining or resentments that are presented to us in Matthew's Gospel with the parable of the day workers. So maybe the two questions that these texts raise uh, would be, um, what happens when you get what you want, or you're, you're, you have, a, a, in, a, in a real sense, a positive change in your circumstances, both personally and as a people, and once you have it, you don't like it, and you're complaining about it, or you get anxious and worried and nervous. And the other question is, what is it about human nature that seems to begrudge uh, other people's generosity, or make us upset if we think that somebody's getting something that they don't deserve, and that we're not getting what we think we deserve? And how do we understand... Uh, those processes and how they produce spiritual, emotional, and mental difficulties uh, in relationship. So let's talk about the Exodus reading. The people of Israel are now firmly wandering in the wilderness, and they're beginning to get angry with Moses and Aaron. Remember, in the story, Moses tells God when he receives his commission that he's, he doesn't know how he can go back to Egypt and lead the people out because he has a speech impediment. And he doesn't think that they're going to be able to understand it. We know, you know, Moses was a historical person. His, his, it's, he has an Egyptian name, Moses. And God said, don't worry about that. I'm going to send Aaron, another Egyptian name, I'm going to send Aaron with you, and he'll do all the explaining. Okay? So if, if you find that you're stumbling along here, this is what will happen. So you operate as a, a twofer. They've gotten out into the wilderness, and the people are worried that they're going to starve to death, or they'll, they won't have enough water, and they begin now to complain about Moses and Aaron. They murmur against them, and they're very angry about all of that. Now, whenever I read these passages, and we'll run, we're going to run into some more. There'll be more as time goes on. They're very important passages about the nature of leadership, both for Moses and Aaron, and how they understand what their task is. I should also preface this by reminding you of uh, Jerry Witherspoon, a retired Army officer from St. Jude's Cupertino. Um, Jerry did this figuring once. He got curious about how long it would take to march the people of Israel using vaguely the biblical account as the, as the starting place. So figuring some arbitrary number of people, men, women, and children, supplies, animals, everything... How long would it take for them to go from Egypt to the Promised Land? 
and he figured that um, making all the allowances for who was going and how they were going, uh, he said it would take about four weeks. So how long were they in the wilderness? 40 years. 40 years. So that may be a metaphor by, with, uh, about how you get yourself sort of in a cul-de-sac, right? And you start wandering around, not just wandering around physically, geographically, but internally, into the internal geography that all of us have, that's emotional, spiritual, and mental. So here they are. They're out here. And what Moses and Aaron do, and but Moses particularly, is that he's able to do something that is very important. And I think all of us who exercise any leadership at all in our family, in our friendships, at work, uh, need to think about this. And what that is, is he realizes immediately that the people are looking back at their time in Egypt through rose-colored glasses. Because it says in the text tonight, today, that they are yearning for the flesh pots. Mm -hmm. Right? They want to go back. They remember how good it was, what they had there to eat and all of this. Never mind that you're in slavery and all of this stuff, horrific thinking going on. They remember it now fondly. So Moses' responsibility is to defocus them from looking back at the place of remembered good times and to turn and to look forward where they're going to receive a new self-definition, a deeper and fuller understanding of God's purposes for them both personally and corporately, and they then receive a new identity. And in this reading, what we see them be able to look at, and Aaron and Moses say, look at this, it's the presence of God in the cloud. And even though they're complaining against Moses and Aaron, it sounds very Jewish to me in some ways, Moses and Aaron say to the people, who are we? You know, what are you mad at us for? They're really mad at God. So if they're mad at God, do you think God's going to turn his back on them? And the answer is no. So it's a lesson about God's abiding faithful presence in our lives. It's also about God's abundance and God's ability to provide. And so God does provide. He provides uh, meat, quail. Yeah, some biblical scholars like to talk this way. I'm going to sound like a fundamentalist in a few seconds, but here's the thing. Uh, th there, uh, it, it's true that, you know, quail and other birds of this kind fly over the desert in Sinai and other places, and they become exhausted and they drop dead onto the bunk, splat, I don't know, but they, they drop dead, so there they are. So somebody's trying to figure out a scientific answer to how uh, there were these quails that fell in the camp or that showed up in, in the camp. And I remember years ago an interview with Alan Dershowitz. Have you ever heard of Alan Dershowitz? The legal... yeah. Alan Dershowitz said when he was a boy, the rabbi used to tell us when we were in Hebrew school, he used to say, if you're going to tell me that the reason why 
Jews don't eat pork is because we discovered in the desert that we couldn't eat this meat because it had trichinosis in it. The wrong answer. The answer is God said don't eat it. That's, that's one way to understand that, you know. But if people need to know, the fact is that it may be so. Because pigs do have trigonosis, and you have to be careful about that. But this is about how God provides. So the birds are there, and then it's this bread it's referred to in today's reading. It's the manna from heaven. So what is this, this white stuff that comes up in the morning? Well, in the ancient Near East, or the, and in the Near East today, there is a bug that excretes a substance that is considered a great delicacy. And it is, uh, needs to be harvested in the morning because if the sun comes up and it gets too hot, it'll melt. So that's what it is. That's what they saw. They woke up in the morning and it was all this white stuff all over the place. And so that's the manna. Now, don't, don't get, you know, hold the phone. God is now providing. They get what they want. And we're going to read some more murmuring, probably in the book of Numbers or something, where they're upset because they're tired of the diet. <laughs> right? We're sick of eating this manna and the quails. We need... We need more variety. And what's the matter that Moses and Mary have gotten us out here and we're now eating the same thing over and over again? You know, never mind that we may have some vegans in our midst. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody who simply doesn't want to have quail. Could be a very difficult situation. This is a story about how God provides. It's a story about how God uh, listens to the murmuring. And it's a story about how the leaders who wish to be faithful turn the focus of people to a new sense of direction and a new self-understanding and a deeper and fuller knowledge of God's purposes for them. Elsewhere, Moses is going to say to them after he smashes the golden calf, you look at me. You look at me. And turn this way. And look here back there and we're going to move forward and they do it's one of the great readings about uh, that style of leadership in Matthew's gospel we have the story of the day workers and what happens is that a guy who owns a vineyard has gone to the hiring hall or somewhere maybe drove to the Home Depot and he got some of those guys who were standing around in the parking lot and he's told them to go to the vineyard and work in the vineyard. And as he's doing it, he realizes after a couple of hours that he needs more. So he goes back and hires some more. He agrees with the people who first were hired that he will pay them the prevailing wage for a day's work. So he goes and gets the next group, and then he has to go back and get another group, and then he goes back and gets another group. Finally, he gets a group of people who come and start working at 5 o'clock in the, eve in the uh, late afternoon uh, and ready to go now and to uh, work. So it's, they've worked, and it's time to collect their wages. So when they go to get paid, 
everybody gets the same. So the people that worked at started at five got the same pay that people who started early in the morning got. And they're angry and they're murmuring and they feel resentful. And they say, you know, we, we thought maybe we'd get more money, but why are you paying people who have only worked an hour the same amount of money that we get paid? It's not in this translation, but the, the, the line that I like the best in this gospel is, uh, do you begrudge my generosity? Nobody's harmed by this. Everybody got what they, they agreed to get at the beginning. They got what they were supposed to get, the prevailing wage. I don't know what it is about people who feel that um, if somebody is the recipient of some uh, good things, that people tend to resent it. I mean, I've had people come and speak to me as a pastor over the years, and they're resentful because somebody is having good fortune. It seems to be a natural, uh, a natural human trait in some ways. And this is a story, again, not really about that stuff, but it's about God's generosity and about God's abundance. <coughs> that everybody gets treated the same. It would be nice to believe that as we um, think about our Christian commitments or we have, feel a sense of conversion or some sort of a new uh, enthusiasm about something and we proceed that we're, we're going to get rewarded for it in some way. Something good will happen to us or that we deserve it and that other people who don't do that don't deserve it. And yet all the time in the Gospels Jesus says God unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives everybody, and they all get and they get in. And some of the people who uh, only worked an hour are in ahead of you, and they get the same amount of money. And that just seems to be an intolerable thing. This is a little off the subject, but it's on my mind. We've had a lot of um, death and dying at St. Luke's over the last couple of years. It's been tough. And we're having a spate of it again. And uh, I was thinking, we're going to have an event here. You're going to look at me like I've lost my mind. We're going to have an event here in November about how to plan your funeral. Because I think it's a good plan to do. And lots of members of Saint have already done that. But we're going to do have a Saturday where we take a couple hours and talk about how the, how the, the, the funeral liturgy works and how it goes and so on. So in the course of things, uh, people nowadays, you know, it's very fashionable to uh, want to have people speak at your funeral. And uh, in the Episcopal Church, traditionally, for a long, long, long time, we don't do that. We do not eulogize the departed. The liturgy speaks for itself. The priest may say a brief homily, or you may have somebody say something. Uh, but the prayer book, the present prayer book, provides for uh, the ability to have speakers. 
And so for a time, over the, up until about two years ago, I was very laissez-faire about all this until what emerged was the reason why we don't, <laughs> right? And it became now to me clear that that's not uh, the thing. You can do that at the reception or some other kind of gathering and talk about those sorts of things. But something else occurred to me because I was reading some of the biblical readings uh, for homilies at the funeral liturgy. And Dr. Reginald Fuller, in his, where he talks about them, says, uh, it seems very surprising, particularly amongst Protestant Christians who have claimed to believe in uh, the fact that we are saved by the grace of God, have developed over the years a system of commemorating the departed which dwells on the virtues of the departed and nobody is saved by their virtues. You're not saved because you're a good person. You're saved because God loves you and unconditionally forgives you and accepts you. Not through any merit on your part. And so the Catholic liturgy, which we have as part of our tradition both, uh, affirms that objective reality and tends to downplay uh, endlessly talking about the virtues of the departed. You know? And this is sort of a parable about stuff like that. You know? About all the people who worked really hard and did all the dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and then a bunch of people get in who've only worked an hour. It just doesn't seem to make sense, does it? You know? But that's what uh, the faith of the church is all about. You should chew on that for a while and see what you think. You know, it's not easy. It's, it's not easy. This week, think about um, uh, if in your life you're um, thinking too much about the place of remembered good times, if you're looking at your past through rose-colored glasses, remember that your past is not prologue, so you have every opportunity to each day do something new, and give thanks for God's abundance, for God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness. And remember that we believe that we all have a role to play in God's plan for the cosmos. So when you hear me say all the time that we're called to be transparencies and reflections of God's grace and love, that means on a daily basis you count and you get to do something like that in relationship by bringing the best and the highest values of what we believe uh, to your relationships. Amen.